You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Lord, our desire this morning is to lift your name. And Lord, I pray that as we strive to continue to bring glory to Jesus Christ, that you would help us to see him for who he is. And Lord, this morning, help each one of us in this room to see ourselves for who we are. And I pray that when all is said and done today, that we will be drawn closer to your son, Jesus Christ. We ask it all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to John, 1 John chapter 2 this morning. 1 John chapter 2 this morning. Thank you for all fitting in to the best of your ability this morning. And um, I think we're going to add a few more cheers in the weeks to come and try to fill this up so that we all can be together in the morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. We have been away from the text for a couple weeks now, and originally when I started this, I thought we'd just breeze through this, but we got stopped several weeks ago on this idea of overcoming, and so... The, the sermon has actually become a series, and so we're going we're gonna to tackle it today. We'll be here again next week, but I hope it's a help and a blessing to you. John says to the believers that he's writing to, he calls them little children, young men, and fathers. And he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. Believer in Christ this morning, your sins, past present, and future have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is something we should rejoice in. No more guilt, no more fear. We are clean. And then he writes to fathers. He says to them, I'm writing to you because you have known him which is from the beginning. And so this morning, believer, we have the privilege of knowing him who is from the beginning. That we as people of Christ have been brought into right Um, relationship with the creator of the universe and we know him and not just mentally know him but we know him intimately we are his sons and daughters it's a glorious truth and then he says this young men you have overcome this morning my brother and sister whether you feel like it or not you have overcome right Martin Luther King Jr. said, we shall overcome. Christian, we have overcome. Overcome. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. Paul writing says this in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, the Son of His love, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. This morning, believer, we have overcome through Jesus Christ, that we have overcome sin, death, and the grave. That is our position today. That's who you are. Whether you feel it or not, we are overcomers. But, with that said, this is our position, our practice as overcomers, now must come in line to that. Are we overcoming daily in our walk with God? We started a couple weeks ago with the word tempt, like temptation, overcoming this wicked one. And the word tempt in the Greek is a neutral word. It can either be good or it can be evil. We don't use that in English. The last time you used the word tempt or tempted, I'm sure it was in the connotation of saying something bad, something not good, something evil. And yet the Bible presents that word in two different lights. The first we talked about several weeks ago. I just want to review quickly. And the second one will start this morning. When the Bible uses the word tempt or trial, it has the idea of a test. A test. A test is where we learn the character of someone by submitting them to extensive testing. And this testing can be difficult, it can be challenging, but the design of the test is to reveal the truth about who you are. And we understand this. If you have a test for school or a driving test or for work, it's designed to show who you really are and what you really know. Um, Jesus is the prime example of coming through these tests with flying colors. In Matthew chapter 4, we find the life of Christ who um, is a representation of Israel. Israel came out of Egypt. They came through the water of the Red Sea. And then for 40 years, they were tested. How did they do? Miserably. Horrible. They were terrible. They failed at every turn. And yet here we see our eldest brother coming out of Egypt through the waters of baptism, now being tested for 40 days, and we're going to see how he was victorious over all of them. Matthew 4, after Jesus is baptized, the Spirit leads him up into the wilderness. He comes in contact with the evil one, the wicked one who John just made reference to. And so he comes to Christ and says, hey, if you are the beloved of God, like the voice from heaven said, if God is well pleased with you, if he cares for you, look at your circumstances. Forty days, you're starving, you're hungry. Does he really love you? And Jesus answers by going to the scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He stays loyal and he says this, in essence, we are not defined by our circumstances. Ever. My brother and sister this morning, if you ever doubt that the God of heaven loves you, that question was forever settled on a mount called Calvary where the Son, Jesus Christ, came and stepped into my place and your place, and the sin that I committed was poured upon His head. He paid the price. He died. He was buried. He rose again. God does love you. He's proved it at Calvary. And Jesus says, we're not defined by our circumstances. And for many of us this morning, we hear that whisper. 
Our circumstances aren't easy. They're downright terrifying at times. And we hear the whisper, if God loved you, we must understand, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. He whispers again, if God is your refuge, if you trust in him, Psalm 91, the whole psalm deals with this, then go ahead and cast yourself off of this mount, the temple, and uh, God will have to save your life. And Jesus, once again, answers by the word of God, and he says, you shouldn't tempt God. We don't demand that God the Father serves us. God, if you love me, if you care for me, then I should have everything I want. Do you know sometimes when God says no, it's the best thing that could ever happen to us? The best thing. We don't demand God serves us. We live in a world today in Christendom where people claim it and name it and demand from God everything. The health and wealth prosperity gospel, the vision board that says, this is where I'm going and God, you have to line up with this. It's all wrong, it's ungodly, it's wicked, it's evil. We don't serve God or we should not serve God for what he does for us and the good gifts that he gives, which he does daily. We serve God this morning because he is God. And he's worthy of all of it. And so, Jesus answers that. And then finally, Satan is done with the the scripture. He knows he can't win there, so he says this. I can give you authority, power, everything you want if you just fall down and worship me. You can bypass the suffering and have it all now. And Jesus will have no part of this. He actually says, get out of here. We're done. We're finished. We're not going to do that. I will worship the Lord God alone, and Him will we worship. We don't deviate from God's strategy. We don't. Do you know the entire Christian life is a paradox? In Christian living, life comes from death. Leadership comes from service. Exaltation comes from humility. And reigning with Christ is born out of suffering. And so, Christ overcomes. He is tested. And in the test, it is clear that He is who He said He was, the beloved Son of God. And notice, He overcame by the Word. Of all the things that Jesus could have used as the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh... He chooses to use the word. And it's exactly what John is talking about here when he says to the young men, um, I've written to you because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. My brother and sister this morning, are you strong in the word? And and some of you right now are saying, Rick, I I don't have time to read the word. I found in my own life that what's important to me, I will make time for. We have uh, one, two, three, four, five granddaughters, I think. One grandson, another grandson coming. And you know, those little girls this weekend wanted to have a birthday party with princesses. Saturday's a bad day for me. A bad day for me. I got, I got a lot on my mind. 
But you know what we did on Saturday? We had a princess party. And all the moms and even grandma dressed up as princesses, right? And, and the dads had Burger King crowns on, right? Goofy, silly stuff. But the truth is, what we think is important, we will make time for. Saints, you must, you must be in the Word. And not just be in the Word, but, but do you meditate on the Word? I'm not talking about the old checkboxes that you do that I read the scripture today, I'm working my way through the year, but literally stop and think through your day as a husband, wife, mom or dad, worker, employer, neighbor, person in the community. The word of God is just ruminating in your heart and mind that you're literally thinking about the word so that when these tests come, you will overcome. Are you memorizing? Memorizing. I'm too old to memorize. I can't even remember why I went to that room. I get it. But it's not impossible. I'm 53 years old. You know what I'm doing now? I'm memorizing scripture. Right? Because it's important. And some of you here, you can attest to this. You learned verses when you were three, four, five years old. And guess what? You know them now, don't you? You know them now. Train your kids, teach your kids, have them memorized. We are strong in the word, and then we can overcome the test. My brother and sister, the test is for your growth, for my growth, spiritually, emotionally, and morally. And as we overcome, not just in our position, which we have, but in our practice, and as these whispers come, and they will come to you, they will come to you, God's goodness, God's love, God's care, the easy way out to take this road and to go this way, and the world's doing it. You will hear it constantly. But when the word of God is strong and I act upon the word and not my feelings, what happens is I find obedience, and in that obedience, I begin to spiral upward. So it becomes easier next time. And we show ourselves not only position, but practice to be overcomers. So that's the first sense of the word. Here's the second this morning. It's this, the word temptation also means what we're most familiar with in our, in our definition in our daily life. It's not a test. It's a trap. It's an attempt to cause someone to sin. The sole purpose of this temptation is to sin. Now, I want to stop for a second because I think oftentimes we use words we use the same words, but we have a different dictionary, right? When we say sin, right away, you, you have a response to that. For some of you, it's like, oh, yeah, sin, I know all about that. And for others, it's like, oh, it's archaic. Here goes the pastor again. I'm in church. All they talk about is sin, sin, sin. But it's important to know, if this is the trap for sin, then what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Literally, that's what it means, to miss the mark. To have a target, a goal, a bullseye, and I shoot at it, but I miss the mark. Well, what's the mark for humanity? The mark for humanity is simply this. We were created to have fellowship with the living God. That the, that the triune, eternal God, in perfect love, submission, happiness, joy, creates humanity to share that with. That in his creation, he creates a man and woman who can come before the God of the universe, and walk in the cool of the night in openness, transparency, honesty, full of love and submission and communication. What a good God he is. 
They had access to everything but one thing. And our goal is to have fellowship with this creator, to be image bearers of him as we receive his love and his goodness and his, his communion. We then are supposed to let that outgo to those around us that we love, we care for, we self-sacrifice, we submit. Can I tell you something? If the world actually did this, news stations would close down because there wouldn't be hatred and violence and war and crime and evil and lust and greed and selfishness and the rest. And by the way, when we live like this, we flourish. My my friend this morning, um, you were created with a purpose in mind and you were created to live in a certain way. Do you know, and maybe you don't, I didn't know until I probably about 10 years ago, but you cannot put um, diesel into a gasoline engine. <laughs> right? I, and I, I'm not making that up. I think that's true, right? Um, you could be in real trouble if you do that. You could ruin a lot of things. Why? Because the engine isn't made for diesel fuel. It's made for gasoline. And we live a life where we think, I can live this life, and this is going to be great, and I'm going to cruise along in life, because I'm going to do this, this, and this outside of God's perfect plan, and will for your life. It will not work well for you. It may for a time, but eventually it will not. We flourish when we, we steer away from this sin, this idea of missing God's mark. And here are some related words that I don't think we think about. And we think they're archaic, but they're not. Transgress means to break trust. And so we sit here and we think, okay, if this is the design, and this is what God expects of me, I certainly in my own life, over and over again, I I broke trust. He entrusted me with this image bearer to give this love to others. And then the idea of iniquity means crooked behavior. Like it's crooked. It's, It's not the straight and narrow of love, joy, peace, right? It's bitterness. Anger, envy, greed. And so I want you to understand, when we talk about being tempted into sin and this trap of sin, um, it is not to restrain you. God is not a killjoy. Like, oh yeah, you Christian people, you can't do this and you can't do that, and here's the list. The fact of the matter is, what God tells you is the only way for true freedom. It is the only way for true life. It is the only way to flourish with this body that he has given us. And so, uh, John says, hey, we've overcome. This area of temptation is a problem. A problem. We've missed the mark. Now, let me just give you several things this morning, and we'll go as far as we can this morning. But I want to talk about the problem with falling into temptation and sin. Number one, it's destructive. It is destructive. Over the last several weeks, I've had friends who are pastors and believers who have fallen into temptation, and now their ministries and their lives are shattered. They're shattered, completely shattered. I wish sometime over the last 30 years you could sit in our offices as we counsel people who thought they were the exception and it would never happen to them. And as the tears rolled down their faces, they wished they had not stepped into that temptation that destroyed much good. 
And you can laugh and you can sneer and you can say, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I'm telling you something. We have seen the devastation of being caught in this idea of sin. It destroys everything. And no one in this room or listening to my voice is immune from this. No one. Um, John Bunyan, uh, the great writer of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote a book, or it's actually a poem called The Caution to Stir Up to Watch Against Sin. And, and in this book, I'm using glasses now because I can't see, I'm old, right? So in this book, um, there are 16 couplets, and I won't read them all. I want to read two to you, how, how um, Bunyan describes sin and how it impacts our lives. Listen to this. He says, sin is that beastly thing that will defile Soul, body, name, and fame in little while. T'will make him, who sometime God's image was, look like the devil, love, and plead his cause. Like to the plague, poison, or leprosy, defile twill and infect contagiously. Wherefore, beware, against it shut the door. If not, it will defile thee more and more. Sin is a prison hath its bolts and chains, brings into bondage who it entertains, hangs shackles on them, bends them to its will, holds them as Samson grinded at the mill. T'will bind them, make them deaf, yea, t'will them gag, and ride them as the devil rides his hag. Wherefore, look to it, keep it out the door. If once it's slave, thou mayest be free no more. I think Bunyan says it well. This is a trap. It's a snare. You and I are not immune from it. And listen to me. The end result of all sin against God is death. All of it. The thing that promises you joy and peace and happiness will ultimately kill your joy, your peace, your happiness, and eventually your life the wages of sin is death. It's destructive. But not only that, number two, when we fall into temptation, we have to realize there is a wicked one who seeks to devour us. My friend, this morning, there is an enemy of your soul who longs to steal, rob, kill, and destroy. And he's on the hunt this morning. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. There's a reason Peter uses that imagery, because a lion will pounce and break to pieces and completely devour everything, bones and all. And Peter says, listen, you can play with temptation, but the fact of the matter is, there is an evil one who is on the prowl looking for you, looking for me to devour, to destroy, to rob, kill, and steal. And so if he is vigilant, seeking for our souls, it might be a good idea for us to be vigilant when it comes to the area of temptation. We're not playing games. Your life is not a game. You don't get a redo. 
You don't say, yeah, 50 years, I messed up. I'm going to start again. And maybe in another life, I know it's a point on demand, once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so you can play with it. But for many under my voice today, you will destroy your life because you think you know better and you think you're the exception. And I'm telling you this morning, you are not. I am not. So it's destructive. It has a one who is a devourer of your soul, if he can. But number three, and I want to say this because, because it's really heavy on what I'm saying, and I don't think I'm going to get to the, I'm not going to get to the end of this today. But I want you to know something. What we're talking about today in temptation, yes, it's devastating. Yes, there's one who wants to devour our souls, but there is deliverance. If not, we're hopeless. There is deliverance. We won't turn there yet. We'll be there in a moment. But Hebrews chapter 4, talking about our Savior, tells us that as we're tempted, when these things arise in our life, that you and I can run to a throne called grace. Grace. And there we can find help and grace in our time of need. And so, believer this morning, what I'm talking about is devastating. And all of us have fallen in these areas already. All of us. But there is deliverance in Christ. And we'll we'll hopefully talk more about that in a minute. So, um, that um, is the problem of sin, number two. Let me give you just three points to consider, and then we'll get to the crux of what I want to say this morning. Um, Points to consider. Number one, temptation in and of itself is not sin. So, So, we can see things, we can hear things, we can think things, but that in itself is not this trap in sin. It can't be. And I'll tell you why. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Look there if you would. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here is Jesus Christ who walks this planet, takes on human flesh. You say, ah, so he's not really human because he couldn't sin. Do you know something? We equate sin with humanity, and we are sinners by nature and choice. But our first parents who were completely human, were born in innocence, created innocence. No sin. Christ is human. And yet he walked this planet, not one thought, word, or deed in any area did he sin at all. So temptation in of itself is not sin at all. Um, Martin Luther, I'm sure you've heard this quote, but he would say, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head. Right? They're, they're flying over right now. But you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Right? You understand that? I cannot stop um, the wicked one from suggesting in my mind um, what's there. I can't. But I can certainly choose this morning not to dwell on that. And so can you. You've got birds flying over your head all the time. But it's on you when it's making a nest in your hair. And so, number one, temptation in and of itself is not sin. Number two, God does not tempt us with evil. James chapter 1, verse 13, it makes it very clear. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And so, for most of us, when we sin and we fall, we blame Satan. The devil made me do it. Everything is Satan, right? But others of us, we don't do that. We say, well, God, you brought this, you allowed this, you put this in front of me. And God says, no, not a chance. It's not happening. 
That's on you. Number three, our temptations arise from our own desires. From our own desires. Um, this morning, the truth is, we're all tempted. All of us. Today you were tempted. You will be tempted. Tomorrow you'll be tempted. But not all temptation. We're not all tempted with the same things. They arise from my own desires. My own desires. Your own desires. There are things in my life right now that do not tempt me. I'm not, I'm not being prideful. It's just, that's an area of my life that that's not a temptation. Um, but there are desires in my heart that those are temptations. Let me give you an example. Years ago, uh, when we were in youth work, we would take the teenagers on their, we called it their senior trip, grade 12 trip, and we would go to New York City. And, and the subway system is what you use, and you could do that back when it was a safe town. I would not recommend that now, all right? Um, most major cities in the U.S. are having real trouble, uh, but I'm not a politician, and I'm not the president, and it doesn't really, whatever. So, um, but you'd go to the subway, and as you went down under the subway, where it had the name of the subway and the station where you're going to, people would take their gum and put it all over the walls. And it was really, it was like a mosaic with this gum everywhere. When I walked through the streets of New York and walked into that tunnel, the wicked one didn't say to me, Rick, look at that gum. Doesn't it look delicious? Don't you want to pick a piece of that off and eat it? That, right? Believe it or not, I had no desire, none, to do that at all. But I have to tell you something. That's our heart, right? That, I, that didn't appeal to me at all. But Kim has me on this no-sugar diet for two weeks now. Maybe in three weeks, I'll be picking gum off of something. I'm not sure. Right? I might. This is terrible. Um, terrible, terrible, terrible. The temptations come from our own desires. They arise from my heart. But just as this last, you know, 50 years that didn't, that didn't mean anything to me, those temptations of our hearts change from our 20s to our 40s to our 60s and our 80s. They're there, but they arise from our own hearts. And we'll talk next week about the importance of knowing your heart to the best of your ability. So uh, just those three points to be aware of. Now, number three, uh, and quickly, the process. The process of temptation. This is really important. A number of years ago, I was counseling a woman who had same-sex attraction, which is a problem for lots of believers. And she was sitting in my office with a friend as we were discussing those issues. The friend said to her, tell pastor the way this works, how you're tempted, what you feel, and the mechanisms that bring you to a place where, where you want to engage in this behavior. And I said, don't. Don't. You don't need to tell me about the mechanisms because, listen to me, the mechanisms are all the same. They're, they're all the same. There's not, that's a horrible sin. It's not a horrible sin. This is okay sin. And this is how it works. Listen to me. This morning, all temptation works the same way. All of it. And so, here's the process. I actually, this is not for me. I actually stole this from Pastor Dan several years ago when he went through the book of James. And he said, this is the process. And I wrote these things down in notes. By the way, not a bad idea to take notes. I wouldn't have a message today. But then I found out Dan stole it from Sinclair Ferguson. All right? 
which is a smart thing. There, there are brilliant men and women out there. It's a good thing. But here's what St. Clair Ferguson says and Pastor Dan about the process, right? And these are the steps for, I don't care where you're at, what you struggle with. These are the steps that take it from innocuous, the thought, yeah, bad, stop, don't, to the inconceivable. And, and listen, God forbid you sit here and you say, that would never be me. Don't, don't, because you don't know what would be you. You don't even know your own heart at times. Here's the process, number one. Oh, let's read then. I'm sorry. John, or James chapter one, let's look at verse number 13. 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it brings birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Here's the first thing that happens. Attraction. Attraction. There's a picture. There's a person. There's a prize. It's like, ooh, that looks good. In my heart... I long for that. I, I like that. It's, it's appealing to me. It's an attraction. And it does start in our hearts or our minds. You can say whatever you want. The Bible talks about the heart is that which drives me. And by the way, every battle we face begins here and here. This is, I'm, I'm using them both, the heart and the mind. Christian, you've got to quit saying, follow your heart. We were having our devotions this week are in 2 Samuel, and it talks about David, a man after God's own heart, right? And so here's what his heart says. David, go build the temple. That was in his heart. And the prophet, Nathan, says, good idea. And then God says, bad idea. David, man after God's own heart. If that's the case, we should question our own. This attraction starts. It is the beginning. And I think, I like that. That would be nice. That would be great. Be careful. These are the initial steps. And we oftentimes feel something, and we follow something, and that's not the way we're to live our lives. On the train of your life, it should not be powered. The engine, the drive, should not be powered by your feelings. Your feeling should be in the caboose. We should be driven by facts and truth. And so it starts with an attraction. I see, I, I feel like this looks good, this looks safe, this looks okay. It goes then from attraction to deception. There's a reason Satan is called the father of lies. We're deceived. We begin to reason that it is okay for me that I am the exception. Or, if we've fallen in this area, that somehow, someway, this time, it will be different. How's that working for you? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is insanity. But we believe the lie. And we believe it and start to make excuses away or reasons why we should go ahead and take that next step. It stays in our head without any outside pushback. These thoughts come, and there's no truth from the Word of God. 
There's no friend to help us. A matter of fact, what people do at this stage, they start avoiding people who really could help them. They could come to church. They're struggling with something, and they're done because they're looking for a voice to agree with them. This deception happens, and it's deception. It's a lie. It will not give you what it promises, not in the long term, ever. So there is the idea of the attention, or I'm sorry, the attraction, deception. Number three, preoccupation. Now that affection um, they have been captured. They've been captured. Now I'm looking at this thing and thinking about this thing, and I keep on thinking about this thing, and I can't stop thinking about this thing, and the bait, the enticement, is right in front of me. Some of you men and women, you're fishermen. You know how that goes. You throw the bait in the water, and it looks really good. The problem for the fish is there's a hook in it. Good for us, bad for them. And that's what's happening here. We're preoccupied. It's no longer, oh, that would be nice, or I'd like to experience that. It goes from that to, I have to have this now. I deserve this. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm stressed. I want this now. And it's the only thing you think about over and over and over again. And it's like, man, I've got this itch. I've got to scratch it. You ever feel that? I, when I say this, I always feel like I have an itch all of a sudden somewhere. I have an itch. It must be scratched. We're preoccupied with it. It's all we think about. And then finally, it goes from attraction to deception to preoccupation to conception. Conception. Opportunity meets desire. I, I love what it says here. It says it conceives. It gives birth. It it moved um, from the heart, where it started, to the hands. From the thoughts to the action. And notice in our text, what is born? He says, verse 16, Then, when desire has conceived, it brings, gives birth to sin. And sin When it is full grown, oh, it's small when it starts. Oh, it's manageable when it starts. Oh, you can play with it when it starts. But when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Death. Always death. And so he says, don't be deceived, my dear brother and sister. There is pleasure to all the temptations of sin. Absolutely. We're not, we're not naive to that. If there were no pleasures, no one would ever sin. There are pleasures to sin. But they never last, and they always bring consequences. They never quench your thirst, ever, ever, and you will never be content. And I'm telling you this, and if you're here and you're being honest this morning, I have done this, and you have done this. This is my temptation. Oh, no, no, okay, maybe. Oh, I'm consumed. Now I do it, and then when I'm done, it doesn't produce what I thought it would, and I feel guilt and shame, and it killed something. It killed my fellowship. It killed relationships. It killed my integrity, my character. It killed joy and happiness and peace. It kills. This is a process for all of us. And I'm warning you this morning. You do what you want with it. But I'm telling you, this is gospel truth. This doesn't change. And so be aware of it. Now, I'm going to close this morning uh, because I, I understand where we're at. 
John writes in his epistle, 1 John, and he's writing, and here's what he's writing for. He says, he says this in chapter 2. Little children, the, the people he loved, he says, I'm writing to you that you do not sin. John understands it. He knows it. The process, he's aware. He understands it. brings forth death, and he says, little children, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm writing to you. Do not sin. Don't go there. Don't do it. And then I'm amazed the next phrase. I hate it, but it's true. He, no, 1 John. Is that it? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I should never mind. Okay, great job. Great job. And if anyone does sin, and if anyone does sin, John's a realist. He understands humanity. If anyone does sin, and we do, there's not a person in this room this morning that you've not fallen into temptation. We've all done it. But listen to what he says. And don't, if you do, listen to me, really important, believer, we have an advocate with the Father, an advocate, one who comes alongside me, is a defense for me, and pleads my case. We have an advocate. We have someone who says, yes, Father, yeah, yeah, I know. We've been here before. I know more than once, yeah. This has been ongoing. I get it. But I'm asking you not to look at him or her. I'm asking you to look at me who paid the price on the tree. I stepped into their place. Their wrath, just wrath, what they deserve, yes, it's right, it's true, that's for them. But Father, I stepped into their place and now it's not their righteousness. They have none. It is my righteousness that I'm pleading for. And the Father says, Amen. Amen. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's Him. It's all Him. And so, what I'm saying this morning is, there's a problem, there's a point, here's a process, but... There's a person involved here. It's not you, it's not me, not the Pope, not a priest. Not, no, it's the person and work of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so, Christian, when we fail, we have a tendency to run from him. He's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's nothing like me. That's the wrong tendency. Instead of running from him, this morning, you run to him. You run to him. And you confess, and you repent, and he cleans you up and lifts you up again. But you don't know again. You, I, again, 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 and again, until the idea of grace and love and mercy so fills us that this is disgusting and his holiness is beautiful. And so... I, I, I don't want you to sin. I don't want to sin. I have a feeling I will. Maybe on the way home. I don't know. Drivers in Chatham are terrible. Right? I don't want to. But when I do, I'm not going to run from him. I'm going to run to the one who is humble, gentle, and lowly. And when I take a step to him, he runs to me. My little children, 
I write these things so you do not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness this morning. I thank you for this group of mostly believers. I pray that we take heed to your word. Stop the process. Understand what's happening. We now know. We know how it works. I pray that we'd cut it short. We'd be pleasing to you. That we would be overcomers, not just in our position, but in our practice. Lord, if there's one here today that, that doesn't understand what it means to truly be converted or born again, I pray that today would be the day that they understand that Jesus Christ is their Savior. He's the one who died in their place. He can forgive all sin, and he can make us right and restore us to relationship with the Father. I pray you'd open their eyes to that truth as well. Lord, we love you. Now, Lord, as we, as we finish the service this morning, help us not to soon forget what we've heard, what we've read, and what we've experienced. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.